Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. What are you drinking? I got kombucha today. I've been off the kombucha train for a while, uh, just because it was getting expensive, but I was feeling it, so I got the uh, GTS Tantric Turmeric. Turmeric. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I'm excited about this. What about you? I was drinking Spindrift Raspberry. Is that your go-to flavor? Uh, Grapefruit is my go-to flavor. I love the grapefruit one. Orange is pretty good as well. Yeah, those are my two favorites. I don't really nice. like raspberry, but we they had it at at Aldi, um, which is where we do like fifty percent of our shopping. So, wow, yeah. My buddy Nathan, you know Nathan, he uh, he he's a huge Spindrift fan, and he said he emailed Spindrift telling him how much he loves, you know, their brand and their drinks, and they sent him like a whole case, like a variety what? pack. Really? Yeah. For oh free. man, I'll have to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been meaning to try that nice that's a good yeah. good tip for our listeners if you want some free spin drift send them an email so you're in your new house right yeah so if you're i think the echo is probably pretty bad um in this episode i'm hoping to get that fixed by the next episode because right now i'm in what is going to be the office but there's really like no furniture in here right now it's hardwood floors and we have no rugs down so it's just super echoey but eventually we'll have more furniture, stuff on the walls, and then um, uh, a rug's down. So at that point, hopefully some of the echo is gone. But yeah, yeah. it's coming together. We'll try to fix it in post. But I mean, are you liking it? Like, uh, Yes. Is it nice to actually have a house? Yeah, it's very nice. It's been lots of projects. I mean, we, we closed four weeks before we actually moved in. So for four weeks, we were doing house projects. And then we've been moved in for a week now and we're still, we still have a decent amount of projects left. The one I'm really trying to finish up is the garage. Cause you know, I had a, a, a gym in my garage and I had to take that all down obviously when we moved and I am doing some projects in the garage now. So I'm taking the, there was some drywall, like terrible drywall. So I'm re- removing that and replacing it with OSB, but there was a bunch of cutouts I have to make. And then I need to paint the garage, so it's it's going to be a while. Hopefully next weekend it'll be up and running. But it'll be rewarding. I mean, once you put it together and yeah, it's it your be. space. Is it a two-car garage? It's a two-car. It's the size of it. It's actually like bigger than a two-car garage size-wise, but it only has one garage door. Okay. It's kind of weird. It's, it's like, like a big garage door, right? No, no. It's just a single car, like a single car garage door. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So basically, the, then one the half, other half, okay. It's like yeah. in, one half's intended for storage and one half is intended for a, a car. But I mean, that'll be nice. That's perfect for like working out. Yeah, which is basically how we gym. used our other garage anyway, because one half was the gym and the other half was a car. So um, yeah, basically just how we had it before. Right. All right. So let's get into gluten. Gluten. So before we start, have you seen the, I think this was a while ago, like 2014, 2015, but have you seen the Jimmy Kimmel, what is gluten sketch? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. So if, if you guys haven't seen it before, just Google Jimmy Kimmel gluten and it'll come up. But basically he sends out people on the streets of New York asking them if they eat gluten. 
and it's like these fitness enthusiasts. So he goes to this one guy who's like clearly like a fitness guy. He's jacked. And he's like, do you, do you eat gluten? He's like, no, no, I, I, I avoid it. And he's like, do you know what gluten is? And then the guy like kind of stumbles for a while. And he's like, I actually have no idea what it is. Um, and it's <laughs> yeah, really most funny. people answer like that. I think the last guy ends up nailing it. But Yeah. So that's pretty funny. And I mean, a lot of people don't know what gluten is. So right. what what is gluten? Yeah, I learned a lot like in preparation for this episode. I mean, it's been like a huge trend for, I mean, I remember in when I was in high school, like, you know, I don't know how long ago that was, 10 plus years ago, you know, that was starting to become a trend. Like you were seeing gluten-free stuff at the store, mm-hmm. you know, gluten-free items at restaurants were coming out and now it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, you can't go to the store or restaurant without seeing gluten-free. So gluten is a family of proteins that is found in wheat, barley, uh, rye, oats. And it's really what gives bread that that sticky, chewy consistency. So when gluten is mixed with water, it, it creates like a glue. And I discovered this. Gluten is actually the Latin word for glue. Hmm. My, my four years of Latin in high school did not teach me that. <laughs> but... I discovered that. So it's what, you know, is what makes bread good, essentially. Yeah. If you ever have eaten uh, your just average gluten-free bread, it, it just like crumbles. It just like falls apart. Like if you have a, a gluten-free sandwich, it's disgusting because it just tastes like you're eating sand. It's gotten better over the yeah. past few years, but um, it's still hard. Nothing to... beats that that chewy wonder bread. You know, you just can't <laughs> get that consistency. Gluten is what gives it that consistency. Yeah. So it contain, gluten contains many different types of proteins, but one of the big ones is gliadin. I think I'm saying that right, G-L-I-A-D-I-N. And that's what is thought to create the negative health effects, especially with those who have celiac disease. So celiac disease is, you know, what everybody talks about with uh, with a gluten-free diet. Celiac disease is just, a, it's an autoimmune condition that treats gluten like a foreign substance. So the body produces these antibodies to the gluten proteins, and that causes damage to the small intestine. So these people really need to avoid gluten, and that's very well accepted. If it's left untreated, the chronic inflammation in the gut can lead to development of some other conditions. So it's important that those who have celiac disease avoid gluten. I think it's estimated that like one in a uh, one in a hundred, so I think one percent of the population. Yeah. And, and celiac is, it's passed on through genetics, correct? Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't know that. Like it was hereditary. Yes. And then you can also, if you think you have it, it, it's tested just through a simple blood test is how you can figure out if you have celiac disease. Yeah. Yeah. And the main recommendation for dealing with it is go on a gluten-free diet. Yeah. There's not really any other way around that. Like if you have celiac, like you have to avoid gluten. Um, even like because whenever you go to a restaurant, people ask, are you, um, do you have celiac or are you just trying to avoid gluten? Um, right. Because they need, because people who are celiac, even if there's like a crumb of gluten in their food, they can have symptoms for hours or even days just because of that single crumb of containing gluten gets in their food. So some people can be severe, severely um, reactive to it. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty serious, and they think that a lot of people are undiagnosed. But anyway, celiac disease is, is obviously very well researched and accepted as a serious condition. And then we have something called non-celiac 
gluten sensitivity or you know non-celiac wheat sensitivity and you know this has been big like i said over the past 10 15 20 years and it's grown in popularity and this is basically people who are not diagnosed with celiac disease but have negative reactions to gluten so that could be bloating constipation um, diarrhea fatigue and so this is what has driven what is called the you know the gluten-free movement and you see stores and restaurants have gluten-free menus um, but the idea of non-celiac gluten sensitivity is actually heavily debated i mean have you ever been made fun of for ordering something gluten-free yeah because i did try going gluten-free for about i did for about three weeks and i was a busy season at the time so like every evening uh, when we ordered food in i would always out for gluten-free so yeah, yeah. I, got, I got made fun of when i when i tried it <laughs> yeah there's a lot of criticism against non-celiac people who are gluten-free right like my I, my I did it in college uh my housemates made fun of me for it you know which i guess is expected i got made fun of it at work for it i think aziz ansari had a joke about it in one of his specials okay yeah <laughs> so it was like it's kind of like become a joke yeah um in, in some crowds so whether or not non-celiac gluten sensitivity, so whether or not that's actually like a real thing or something for the general population to be concerned about is heavily debated. Yeah, it's not really, it's not just black and white. There, you know, some people don't even think NCGS, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, we're just, we're going to call it NCGS from here on out. Um, not everybody believes NCGS is a thing. People, some people believe either you're celiac or you are okay to eat gluten and there there is this middle ground that has been debated between but i wanted to you know look into the research like is ncgs a thing are is there a group of people who are not celiac but should still limit or reduce gluten from their diet so what did you find when researching whether ncgs was actually a thing and whether there is a group of people that have that yeah i mean i think at this point like it's pretty well accepted that there are people that don't have celiac disease but have some sensitivity to gluten or wheat you know we're saying gluten but like i feel like wheat is a broader category um there was a study in the nutrients journal in 2013 and it's a great study on ncgs research as a whole uh, and basically they concluded that there's really no question that there are non-celiac people that are sensitive to gluten but it can be difficult to distinguish because not everybody reacts negatively to the same proteins and the way in which their body reacts may be different. So the symptoms may appear differently and what they're actually reacting to could be different. So they said the lack of biomarkers is still a major limitation in clinical studies, uh, making it difficult to distinguish between NCGS and other gluten-related disorders. But that's a really interesting study and. Um, I'd recommend people go go read that. We'll put a link in the show notes to that one. Uh, and then there was another one in the American Journal of Gastroenterology in 2012. And they say our data confirm, I think this was a, a review study, and they said our data confirms the existence of non-celiac wheat sensitivity as a distinct clinical condition. Um, but they say that this may present itself in different ways. So one one person might have a sensitivity that looks more like celiac disease or one might have something that looks more like a food allergy. So it doesn't, this is really that middle ground. It doesn't always present itself in the same way. 
and that's what's what makes it difficult yeah and a lot of the um potential side effects of it are similar to things like FODMAP foods um, or just IBS in general. Like there are all different types of things that can factor in. It's hard to pinpoint whether just gluten is what you're reacting poorly to. Maybe it's the, um, you know, fermented foods, which is a FODMAP food, highly fermented foods are things certain people react poorly to. So it's really hard to distinguish whether it's from gluten, whether it's a FODMAP food, whether you have IBS, maybe all three, like it's so challenging to pinpoint if gluten is the culprit. Yeah. And for those that do have some sort of sensitivity, there are the gut issues. And that's what most people think of when they think of a a gluten sensitivity or when they think of a, a negative reaction to gluten, they think of gut problems. There was one study that looked at the effects of gliadin which is that protein, that big protein in gluten, and its impact on gut permeability. It it had shown that in some patients, for those that had a sensitivity to it, it reduced the integrity of the gut lining. And as I think we've mentioned in past episodes, your intestinal barrier is what helps with nutrient absorption and it helps keep other bacteria out. It's kind of the gatekeeper to your body. So when you weaken that, you increase your susceptibility to other problems. But it can also present itself in a whole lot of other ways. I guess before I get into that, let's talk about how they test for this. Because this is this is an important, important part of the discussion. Yeah, because you can't, unlike celiac, there's no just like blood test for NCGS. You can't just, I mean, there's some people have a, a wheat specific allergy, like and you can get a, a food panel done and, and wheat specifically you can be allergic to, but that's a wheat allergy is different than and CGS. So you can't really just get a, a blood test and determine whether or not you have NCGS. Yeah, because there are so many components to gluten and wheat that aren't necessarily covered in your typical blood panel or right. your typical even uh, celiac test. So when they're testing for celiac disease, they primarily test for a set of antibodies that are present when you have an autoimmune reaction to consuming gluten. And so those primary tests are testing for antibodies to gliadin, which I've mentioned, and another one called transglutaminase, TTG2, is outshortened. And I'm sure there's some other ones, and it probably varies a little bit based on the practitioner, but those are the big ones that they test for. So if you test negative for those, they'll say, no, you know, you don't have celiac disease, you know, you're not gluten sensitive because you tested negative, negative for these. But there are many other proteins that people have been, people have shown a reaction to that's what makes it difficult is most of the tests that you were to run, if you were to act your, ask your doctor to run, or if you were to even do like a food allergy test, a lot of those proteins that may cause a negative reaction are going to be excluded. So for that reason, uh, it's been estimated, and I will I'll post the study to where I got this number. They think that for every person with celiac disease, there's at least six or seven people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yeah, so for people who have NCGS, Again, it's very hard to test, but the rough estimates on studies are showing anywhere from 6 to 10% of people have um, a sensitivity to gluten, but are not celiac. Yeah, and so there are obviously negative impacts with that that may go beyond the gut. So gluten intolerance does not always show itself through acute abdominal symptoms. 
Um, it can actually manifest itself in many ways beyond the gut irritation. So um, again, I'll post the studies to, to where I found these, but fatigue is a big one that a lot of people who are gluten sensitive uh, experience being significantly reduced by removing gluten from their diet, uh, brain fog or you know mental fatigue, chronic migraines. Um, there's several studies that showed that one. Uh, actually, depression and anxiety, you know, mood disorders. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you consume gluten, then you're going to have fatigue, brain fog, migraines, depression. These are just some ways that uh, a gluten sensitivity may present itself in certain individuals. I mean, it could be depending on the person, like it could, it could cause exacerbate it. certain things or just cause cause a disruption in your in your body that you didn't even know existed. Because when you think of consuming gluten, you think if my gut's ir not irritated, then I must not be allergic. Right. And people could have multiple symptoms too. It's not just one of these. Like you could have like, you know, fatigue, brain fog, and migraines. Maybe you have all three of those and you've had all three, you know, something you've struggled with for, for years. So it's yeah. not, it's not necessarily just one of these symptoms. It could be all of them together. Right. Every, and, everyone acts, reacts differently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not to say that these are the side effects of consuming gluten for everyone, but you could have a sensitivity and not know it because it's not irritating your gut in particular. And so in the majority of those things that I just mentioned, I got all those from, from these studies and these symptoms were drastically improved by removing gluten from the diet for those that were gluten sensitive. Mm -hmm. So if you have a chronic unexplained symptom, uh, and especially those with autoimmune disorders, food sensitivities can play a huge role. And so it's worth, it's worth considering. Now it gets even worse if you have a, a food sensitivity especially like celiac disease, but even if you're just gluten sensitive and that goes ignored for a number of years, that's been shown to potentially develop into autoimmune disorders or other chronic conditions, type one diabetes, MS, uh, neurological conditions. So there's this one study, um, that looked at those with neurological dysfunction and it, it said the data suggests that nearly 60% of people with neurological dysfunction of unknown origin tested positive for anti-gliadin antibodies, meaning they had some sort of sensitivity to gluten. And then as you would expect, if you have a chronic condition that is not dealt with, uh, you have an increased risk of death. So studies show that those with undiagnosed celiac disease had a four times higher risk of death, which you know, that's not really a surprise because it makes sense. It's an untreated autoimmune condition. So just given the, the amount of impact that this could be having on your body, I think it's worth considering. All right. So having said that, let's talk about our own experience with gluten, gluten-free. I mean, what was your experience? Yeah. So like I said, I tried it for, for just about three weeks, which probably isn't enough time to really figure out if you have either celiac or NCGS, you probably like closer to six or eight weeks is a better frame time frame to completely remove it and then add it back to see if you react negatively but the reason i tried it is because i like ever since starting college i've just kind of developed like stomach issues like bloating and abdominal pain and it just kind of got progressively worse and i was always fine like up until you know starting college and that's when it started so uh through there and then into my first two years of work it it kind of started to get worse so i went to the doctor tried you know all these different pills, nothing worked. And 
after kind of moving on from EY, where I worked for two years, um, I started to feel feel better. And uh, during that, like during that time, I tried. That's when I tried the the gluten free, and I didn't see any difference after three weeks. I also tried plant based during that period, not for stomach reasons, just because mm. I wanted to, to try it. And I did that for about three months, and during that period, I determined. Uh, that I react very poorly to dairy, um, but I was still eating mm. gluten there. So basically, after moving on from UI, starting a new job that was much less stressful, uh, the symptoms kind of started to fade away. And there's still certain things I would eat that would kind of cause flare-ups. Like I said, dairy would cause issues. Uh, foods like legumes and uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, things like that, would eating in excess amounts would cause abdominal pain as well. So I've kind of just been able to play with my diet and was able to remove foods that cause pain. But what I learned was that the the main issue was was really high stress. Like starting college is very high stress. Really all four years of my college were high stress. I went right into studying for the CPA exam and then into two years of working a high stress job. Hmm. And so that wow. was a six year period, which looking back right now, it was the most stressful six years of my life so far. And, um, the past year or so, uh, it's been really, a, you know, great. Like most of my symptoms are gone. If I avoid these, these foods, then I'm, I'm good to go. So stress plays a big role. Um, I, I don't have a gluten sensitivity to my knowledge. I don't think I'm NCGS, but, um, you know, just play with it. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think stress does play like a huge role. And uh, I, don't, I don't have notes written up on this, but I'm going to speak from memory. So I was reading when I was reading on this gluten stuff, you know, people report less gut irritation when they eat pasta or bread in Italy mm. when they're they're on vacation versus when they eat it here in the States. And there's some debate on whether or not like it's actually like made differently or fermented longer. So therefore, you know, maybe that's it. But somebody proposed the idea that it could be due to stress. When you're on vacation, you're a lot less stressed. Yeah. And that can play a role on, you know, how your body digests certain foods. So the idea that, you know, you, you had just a lot of gut irritation when you were stressed um, and that went away when you were put in a less stressful situation for a longer period of time is right. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's crazy how stress manifests itself and really has so many effects on your physical health like more yeah, than just that it, it, other things in my life as well it, it really affected significantly mm -hmm. so um keep your stress levels low <laughs> yeah easier said than done but it really does take a ma take a major toll and then mm -hmm. uh, dairy is another one we're going to be doing an episode in the future on dairy but dairy is one that um a lot more people react poorly to dairy than they think i drank milk you know, my entire life, cereal is my favorite food, still mm -hmm. is. And I mean, I'd probably have two cups, uh, like measured out two cups minimum every day of milk. And I've like got real that. milk. Yeah. Hmm. So I went through a lot of milk and I, I, I enjoy just drinking it plain and just removing it from my diet. Now it's, it, it has a, a huge impact on how I feel. So yeah. And I've, I've been tested for food allergies and I've, I don't have any, according to my blood panel and, and testing, 
I'm not mm-hmm. allergic to anything supposedly, but I still react poorly to dairy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how extensive those are versus like what you could actually test for. Yeah. So um, what about you? I know, you know, Katie obviously has MS. How, I guess you, what's your personal experience and how has she reacted yeah. to, to gluten and, and removing gluten? Yeah. She came to my mind so much when I was reading this. I'll start with her. She has been gluten intolerant, I think her whole life. So when I first met her back in college, um, I don't know, it was like a few years into it. She decided to go gluten free and she noticed for the first time that after a meal, her stomach didn't hurt. She said, I thought that was normal. Anytime I would eat like a sandwich or, you know, cereal or, or any kind of like bread, my, like my stomach would just like really hurt. I'd feel super bloated. I just thought that was normal. Yeah, jeez. And after she removed that, she felt a ton better. Basically, she she had that discomfort for so long that she didn't even know it was a problem. Yeah. And she didn't realize it was a problem until she stopped and then and then ate gluten again and then she had the pain. So and she has MS, as I mentioned before. And you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I'm gonna jump to conclusions. <laughs> I would not be surprised if she had this intolerance her whole life, because she said it's been that way her whole life. Mm-hmm. And the, the prolonged ignorance of, of that, not knowing that she had a sensitivity to gluten and just continuing to consume gluten probably had an impact on her autoimmune condition. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Is, yeah, yeah. It's just, I, yeah, really interesting. And I think it kind of drives home the point that, you know, if you are experiencing some sort of discomfort that you can't explain, you know, tr- try doing an elimination diet, start picking and choosing some things to eliminate. Go carnivore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Go carnivore. Eat only meat. Yeah. Hey, that's a, uh, an, a good elimination diet. You'll, you'll find out pretty quick if you're allergic to, to yeah, gluten. Yeah, or just fat, or just don't eat at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's her experience. So she doesn't eat gluten. Now, gluten has never really upset my stomach, to my knowledge. I guess, you know, if I eat too much, I think if anybody eats too much bread, they feel bloated. But I feel more energy if I don't eat a ton of bread. Like, if I eat... If there's like a week and I just go off the rails and I'm eating, you know, cereal every morning and uh, maybe bread with dinner or a sandwich, like I definitely like just don't feel up to par in terms of like my energy levels, especially when I'm working out. Now, if I have bread like one time, um, like I probably eat, I mean, I eat primarily gluten free, but like, I don't know, maybe like once a week I'll eat something that's not gluten and I don't, I don't notice an acute uh, pain or, or any kind of immediate effect from doing it one time. If I do it recurring, then I notice something. So for the most part, I really try to try to avoid it. And overall, I just feel better when I'm primarily consuming unprocessed whole foods. Yeah. So for the general population, you know, for the people listening, you know, is gluten something everybody should avoid? Now, looking at the stats, we know that celiac is about 1% of the population NCGS is six, roughly six to 10%. So, you know, the question is, you know, if you're in that 1%, you probably know, hopefully it's, that's fairly obvious. Um, if not, you can easily be tested for that. But, you know, really the question is around what if you're in that six to 10% of the people who are gluten sensitive and are having these issues, maybe not even gut issues, um, their whole lives and simply removing gluten would help that. Yeah. It may not always present it. Like I said earlier, it may not always present itself in the gut. So it may not be even in your top of your mind. And aside from the six to 
six to 10% people, especially if you have some sort of chronic condition or chronic pain or autoimmune condition, it's worth exploring that as well. Yeah. If you haven't already. Yeah. So if you have, I and mean, we'll post um, a link in the show notes with, with those symptoms. And if you have, you know, even one of those, or maybe you have multiple, you know, it's really, it sounds challenging, but it really is simple to go eight weeks without gluten and, and just see how you feel. And then adding it back and see if you react poorly to it. So if you have an inkling that you might have a sensitivity to gluten, then just remove it for eight weeks. Like give that a try and see mm-hmm. if if things get better. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's really, I mean, there's two ways that you can do it. There's one, take a, a food test. But like I said earlier, the standard food tests and the standard celiac test won't won't be complete. It won't be comprehensive. Right. There is one test that you can get. It's called Array 3 from Cyrex Laboratories, C-Y-R-E-X, and I'll post a link in the show notes for that. That has to be ordered by a clinician, though. You can't just go order this yourself. I haven't tried ordering that from my doctor. I don't know if she would. Honestly, they probably won't unless they think you have celiac disease. But if you can, if you have a cool doctor, try requesting that because that'll give you a full pay. It gives you like every protein in wheat. And shows you what you're sensitive to. Okay. That's really super helpful. Yeah. But if you can't do that, which most of us can't, experiment. So try, like Aaron said, try going for eight weeks, 60 days with no gluten. At the end of the 60-day period, add in wheat or a bowl of barley and eat it and see what happens. It's a, it's free and you're probably going to be consuming healthier foods. Yeah. Oh, and it, I said barley. Um, barley is a gluten-containing grain that is low in FODMAPs. FODMAPs are uh, a type of carb that some people have difficulty absorbing in the small intestine. So it can cause inflammation and irritation in the gut. So if after that 60-day period, you eat a bowl of barley and you react to it, that suggests that you're intolerant of gluten or other gluten-like compounds. Now, if you don't react to barley, but you do react to wheat bread, that may suggest that you're intolerant to something in wheat specifically or, or FODMAPs. So, cause I think those two can be confusing. Barley is in barley is low in FODMAPs. So if you react to that, it's not FODMAPs you're reacting to, but likely the gluten. Okay. Um, and then really for anyone else who maybe, you know, that you are, um, okay with gluten and that you handle it fine. Maybe you don't have any of these symptoms at all. It's still, wise to be careful with the the type of of gluten products you consume so mainly because you know if you go get your wonder bread yeah that has gluten in it obviously but it's also made like crap you know it's just crap ingredients put together has all these additives um bleaches and it is not sugar sugar yeah it's not gonna it's not a, a a quality product so when choosing what types of pastas, what types of breads, uh, cereals to consume, if you are going to continue to eat gluten, two that I would recommend are a sprouted grain. That's really been kind of incorporated into restaurants more. It's becoming more well-known. And sprouted grain is essentially what it sounds like. It's the grain that has started to sprout. So because of that, it improves the the bioavailability of the nutrients. So you actually get more nutrients from the food. Whereas if you eat Wonder Bread, basically all the nutrients are stripped away. Yeah, I think sprouted bread is lower in gluten. Yes. I, 
I, again, I I don't know. I could be just spewing filth here, but I think it's because it's <laughs> fermented longer. That uh, so sourdough is the other one, another good recommendation. Sourdough, but okay. sourdough is fermented for it, it, it's all it depends, but anywhere from twenty four to forty eight hours, it goes to a fermentation period, and that period uh, helps remove some of the gluten. So sourdough and sprouted grain breads are typically going to have contain less gluten and more nutrients, more bioavailability of those nutrients. So those are two good options to opt for if you still want to have bread. And and that's what I do. I don't, I still don't eat a lot of bread. I try to stick to mainly plants, um, plant-based foods and meats. So that, you know, I try to eat veggies like 50% of my diet and then some animal products and a few grains. I try not to make that my main source of food. But when I do incorporate grains, it's either it's typically sprouted grain is, is kind of my go-to. Yeah. And the thing is with a gluten-free diet, like it's not harmful. You know, you're not like losing a ton of nutrients by taking out bread. You're still getting fiber from vegetables. And if you're going gluten-free, you're m- more likely to eat healthier foods because yes. most of the yeah. gluten-containing foods are garbage anyway. You know, sweets, uh, desserts, um, beer, I mean, a lot of a lot of stuff contains gluten, and it's typically in more highly processed foods. Yeah, that aren't good for us anyway. That's true. Yeah, if you want to eat well, like eat a whole foods diet while consuming gluten, like it, it's very hard to kind of do both of those. Most whole foods, unprocessed foods, very few of those contain gluten. Right. So, regardless whether or not you have celiac, non-celiac, wheat sensitivity or you're completely fine. I found that I feel best when I, I stick to a, a whole foods, primarily plant-based diet um, and avoid the, uh, the processed breads and sugars and stuff yeah. like that. All right, well, give it a shot and take a look at the research. And if, if anybody finds, um, like, I don't know if we've ever said this before, but like if you find contradictory research or contradictory information, shoot us a note. Um, I think our email address is in... Our Instagram profile? Yeah, I think it is. We'll put it there if it's not. Info at labratspodcast.com? Yep. Um, Or message us on Instagram. I mean, we want to learn. We want to get it right. So feel free to reach out if you have any further thoughts. Stay healthy. Should I cut this whole thing out? (laughs) Um, I'm I'm slightly lost. (laughs) Okay. That means that everybody else is going to be lost. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I just checked out. Well, that means everybody else is going to check out. <laughs> oh, jeez. According to my, you know, my blood, pan- my blood panel, my blood panel, and and testing, acute abdominal symptoms. Acute abdominal. I can't say that. If you just have an inkling that you might have a sensitivity sense because of that it intru- it oh man um you increase yourself up to you increase yourself what am i trying to say <laughs> i i can't get this sentence out <laughs> your susceptibility you-